we welcome you again to the Fallbrook St. Avenue Church. And as Dan mentioned, we had a transition this past week, did we not? And don't worry, I will not be talking about politics, and I won't be telling you who I voted for. But I do want to read to you uh, a tweet that Derek Morris put on his social media page. Derek Morris is the president of Hope Channel. He came and did a Sabbath school here not too long ago. And right now in our nation, we have some that are very excited. We have some that are very disappointed. And I think we could all agree we're a divided nation. We're living in interesting times. And I love what Derek Morris said. He said, look around, experience feelings of uncertainty. I think we could all agree that we live in interesting, uncertain times. Look within, experience feelings of what? inadequacies. I look at my own heart. I'm a sinner. How about you, friends? And I realize that I can't save myself, but I look to God and I experience hope. Amen? And friends, in these times that we live in, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep pointing people to the one that can save them from their sins, and that is Jesus. So I pray that uh, we will continue to look to God and experience hope. Now, this morning, we're going to be covering a hot but hope-filled topic. Now, over the last number of weeks, Pastor Sam and I have decided to uh, cover different Bible topics, different teachings that as Seventh-day Adventists, things that we believe that are here in the scriptures, and go over them during our church service. So we're going to launch into this study of hell. For some of you, it may be a big review. Hey, I've heard this stuff before. Uh, But for some of you that are new here, maybe have not heard what the Bible teaches about this subject, whatever the case, I pray that we will gain a deeper appreciation for God's character today. And so we're going to be talking about this subject. It's It's a deep subject. I hope that it's not overwhelming. I pray that it'll be about Jesus. So why don't we pray? And ask God to guide us as we dive into his word. I recognize the time, 12:13, but uh, if you bear with us as today's service was a little longer. Let's pray. Father, we have an opportunity to open up your holy scriptures, to open up the, the word of God. And we pray, Lord, we humbly pray that you would please guide us. We recognize that this is not our book, this is your book. And Lord, we want your message to come through. And Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Do you know, friends, that this morning, people just like you and me woke up in paradise? They ate breakfast. They went on their morning walk. They began their day. And do you know that people did the same thing in hell this morning? Now, before you're confused, of course, I'm talking about Paradise, California, which is a real place just north of here, and Hell, Michigan. Yes, there is an actual town called Hell, Michigan. It's a small, unincorporated town not far from Detroit, and there are real people that woke up in these two places this morning, Paradise and Hell. And I don't know about you, but I know that I personally would not like to live in a place with that name. But there's actually two towns with similar names in in the United States. Surprisingly, not far from Paradise, California, just about 15 miles north, is a little town called Helltown. But I imagine that the weather in this Helltown is probably a bit warmer than 
the weather in this hell, hell Michigan, often freezes over, surprisingly enough. And so it's a little colder than the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Now, all puns aside, all jokes aside, I, I, I called it a hot topic on purpose because I really believe that hell is a popular topic. It is. Some of you are thinking, listen, the only time that I hear that word, Jeff, is unfortunately when someone's upset and they share a string of four-letter words. That's the only time I may hear that word. But back in 2011, there was an article, front cover, Time Magazine, that came out just uh, five years ago now with this title. The title of the front page was, What If There's No Hell? A popular pastor's best-selling book has stirred fierce debate about sin, salvation, and judgment. Maybe some of you have heard of a former pastor named Rob Bell. And Rob Bell authored a book called Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. Now, this book really stirred up a firestorm, no pun intended, in the evangelical world. And rightly so. Essentially, Bell comes to a point where he suggests the dangerous theological, non-biblical idea of universalism. That, hey, everyone's saved. doesn't matter what you believe. And it's unfortunate that Bell came to those conclusions. In fact, in, in his book, he essentially says, you know what? God is too loving. He's too kind. And there's no hell whatsoever. God doesn't burn people up. Which I have a problem with that because there's verses in the Bible and many passages that do talk about that. So, so what about this man's conclusion? And I can't help but wonder, though, is Bell's position a reaction to the Sunday school child view of hell? As God holds a sinner over the pits of hell waiting to burn him up. And I think that Bell ran way too far, friends, and we're going to see that today. But I want to read to you from a a little passage in a glow track. How many of you are familiar with glow tracks? Yes, we have one uh, called Myths About Hell. And I want to read to you what this little glow track says. It says this. It says, To some, the word hell brings back vivid childhood imaginations of eternal roasting pit for humans, which they heard about from Sunday school or from a fiery televangelist. Some think that the concept of hell would be better if it didn't exist at all. In fact, some, in an attempt to divest their minds of such a fearful idea, make the choice to disbelieve hell altogether, which is what Bell unfortunately does. But then, notice what the glow track says. It says, if you continue down that train, hell doesn't exist, that means that God doesn't exist because it's in his word. And the glow track says this, what do we do with this idea of hell? Do we throw it out? Can a God of love be associated with hell fires? Do we ignore it and its implications about who God is? Should we hope against hope that our pastors were somehow mistaken? And the track says the only option is to simply study the Word of God and see what the Bible says. And friends, that is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to do a simple uh, study of what the Bible says about 
this hot, hope-filled topic. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's not on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Pathfinders, I think there's Bibles in the pews uh, maybe beneath you. 2 Peter chapter 2. And thank you, Chris Lynn, for doing such a good job of reading that. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is what the Bible says. It says, The Lord is not what, everyone? Slack or slow concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can I hear amen? What a beautiful verse that God, verse that God does not desire anyone to die. He doesn't want you to not be there. He doesn't want any single one of his children to perish. And so he says that he is not going to delay in keeping his promise. And the reason he's not going to delay, he's waiting some, I should say, because of the fact that he doesn't want anyone to die. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, but his long-suffering. It's not like he's not going to make it happen. He will, but he wants all to come to repentance. But then notice verse 10. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come, how everyone? As a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Melt with fervent heat, burnt up. Have you ever seen plastic melt before? Yes? I uh, was actually Pathfinders. I was at a camp out. Uh, This is, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago out in the uh, Anza Desert, and I had my green poofy down jacket on. It was cold out there in that desert, and I, being cold, wanted to get a little more warm. And so I walked over to the fire with my nice green jacket, stood with my back to the fire. Ah, this is so nice. And pretty soon, it looked like someone had skinned a goose because these feathers start floating up into the air, and one of the pathfinders said, Pastor Jeff, That fire burned a hole right in your jacket. And it had, because that's what heat does. But friends, 2 Peter doesn't say that there's going to be a little hole burnt up. Notice the language. It's interesting language in verse 10. It says, The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Notice that last phrase. Both the earth and works that are in it will be burned up. Now, I want to ask just three simple questions, just based off this first verse. Question, is there anything left, according to just verse 10, after these fires? No. Notice what it says. It says that the earth and its works will be burnt up. Total destruction. Number two question, when do these fires occur? Look there in your uh, Bibles, verse 10. When do they occur? The day of the Lord, right? So this happens at the day of the Lord. And then uh, uh, lastly, um, where do they occur? The Bible says that they occur on earth. The earth and its works will be burnt up. All right? Now jump up to verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. It says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for what, everyone? Fire until when? 
until the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. So what we've briefly seen from Peter is that these fires have not happened yet. Can we agree on that? They are reserved until the day of judgment. Now, has Jesus come yet? No, we want him to. Has the great day of judgment happened yet? No, we want it to. And that means that these fires have not happened yet either. Uh, Let's continue this thought in Matthew 13. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at a familiar parable. Matthew, first book of the gospel, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And where we'll read from is, is uh, actually down in, uh, in verse 36. But Jesus tells a parable of the tares. How many of you have heard of the parable of the tares? Anyone? The parable of the tares basically is a, a story that uh, Jesus tells. And he tells this story about a farmer. And this farmer goes out and plants a field of wheat. Plants all this wheat. And in the night, an enemy comes and he sows or he plants weeds, tares, in the same field. Over time, it begins to grow a little bit, and the weeds begin to pop up among the wheat. And the servants say, Master, who did these things? An enemy has done this. Well, should we go and pluck out all the weeds? And the farmer says, No, I want you to wait until the harvest and let the weeds and the tares grow up together and then pluck them out, lest you pluck up the wheat with the weeds. And Jesus explains this parable um, starting in verse 37. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to them, chapter 13, verse 37 of the book of Matthew, he who sows the good seed is the who? The son of man. And who's the son of man, friends? Jesus. So Jesus is the farmer. Uh, What is the field? Verse 38. The world. Who are the good seeds? Sons of the kingdom. Who are the tares, the bad seeds? Sons of the wicked ones. And then notice verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is right now. Is that what it says? When's the harvest? At the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So here, Jesus tells us very, very plainly that these fires will not happen until the end of the age. The harvest is not right now. Now, the reason this is important, friends, is because Scripture is very consistent in teaching that hell is not a hot spot in the middle of the earth. If you keep on digging and digging down to the center, you're not going to find hell. Because according to the Bible, these fires are reserved until the day of judgment, until the end. Notice uh, these two verses just on the screen. You don't have to turn there. John 12, 48. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him when? In the last day, 2 Peter 2, 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Can we say amen to that real quick? Amen. Beautiful. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for when? For the day of judgment. Now, there's a whole lot more deeper things we get into about the timing of the millennium, etc. But simply, could we agree on the fact that these fires are not happening right now? According to the Bible, they are reserved until the day of judgment. Now, my question then is this. If that is the case, then where are sinners right now? If the fires are not until the end, when will the sinners be cast into the fire? Friends, 
Let me give you some encouragement today that there is not one person burning in hellfire right now. That hellfire is at the end of the world, and God would not punish a person in fire until his case was tried. Nor would God burn a murderer who died 5,000 years ago, 5,000 years longer than the person who dies and deserves the same punishment today. So if sinners aren't cast into the fires till the end, where are they? Well, it's on the screen here, John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Notice what Jesus says. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are where? In the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. From the time of death until they come forth in the resurrection, they're not receiving any punishment or reward. They are simply sleeping in the graves, reserved in the graves. Uh, the Bible continues, Luke 14, 14, thou shalt be rewarded or recompensed at the resurrection. Daniel 12, 2, some will sleep in the dust of the earth and they'll awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So friends, time and time again in the Bible, It says that the dead are being reserved in the grave until the end of the age. Now, again, the reason this is encouraging is because I'm sure there are people here that have loved ones that have passed away, and they are unsure of their salvation. I do. I have family members, friends that have passed away, and based on their life pattern, I don't know where they're going to be. And you know what? It could be discouraging to think that the moment that my family member or friend dies away that they are burning in hell. But praise God that I don't have to worry about that right now because God is going to worry about that later on, but it's not up for me to decide. How many of you have heard of a film that was put out four years ago called Hell and Mr. Fudge? Anyone heard about that film? Not a lot, a few of us here. Hell and Mr. Fudge um, is a film Uh, based on a true story of an individual that grew up in the Bible Belt South. And I know it's kind of hard to see this writing right here, but it says Hell and Mr. Fudge. And it's about a a young man who uh, studies the topic of hell. And the story, the movie, starts out, true story, of when Edward Fudge was just a boy. He grew up in a home of a conservative a southern preacher man who owned his own radio uh, publishing company, and he uh, grew up in a home with conservative Christian views. And uh, in this home that he grew up in, his dad always taught him, son, whatever is in the Bible is always right, no matter what other people say. He drilled that in his, even though he was a conserv- his dad was a conservative uh, uh, man back in those days, but he said, hey, whatever the Bible teaches, Regardless of what other people say, that's what is always right. And Edward had that in, a mind, in his mind. And when he was a young boy, he was out with some friends, and he had a friend that was older than him that offered him a ride home. They were hanging out, spending time together. And his older friend said, hey, I've got my dad's truck here. I'll take you home. But Edward, two reasons why he declined. One is he had his bike, and two his parents did not approve of his friendship with this, with this young man. He made bad decisions and got uh, them involved in things they shouldn't have been. He said, no, I'm good. I'm going to ride my bike home. Well, he rides his bike home, and later that night, 
his dad gets a telephone call from that young man's mother. And that young man who had gotten in the truck and drove away died in a car accident on the way home. And in the film, this boy, maybe 10 years old, is struck with this thought. Where is, I forgot his name, Johnny. Where is Johnny? Because he knew that Johnny was a bad kid. He knew that he made bad decisions, and he was terrified with the concept that his friend Johnny was burning somewhere in hell. Terrified with the concept. And so he, he continues to, uh, the film goes on, and he continues to grow up, and he, he ends up going to a Bible school. And in this Bible school, he uh, studies theology, and there someone actually pays him to study the topic of hell. He's interested in this topic, and someone actually pays him to study that topic. And so, um, as he's studying that topic, he realizes that, you know what, there's basically two views. And in this movie, it talks about these two different views, and uh, the, grew, the view that he grew up with was the traditionalist view. The traditionalist view is that hellfire burns sinners for eternity, and that hell is happening right now, and the wicked go there straight when they die. The conditionalist view uh, was a very, very unpopular view back then. It was barely coming into existence. It was back in the 70s, 80s. And the conditional view was sinners perish in the flames but aren't burnt for eternity. Flames of hell are reserved for the end of the age. And he put these two views on a board, and he says, I'm going to study this out. And someone actually paid him to do this. So he spent a whole year or two from the Bible uh, studying out these two different topics with, with a bias toward the traditional view. He came into it thinking, you know what? We can't at all, we can't at all give up our church doctrines. And as uh, his life continues on, he begins to have challenges because as he is studying this, um, uh, people begin to give him a hard time because he starts leaning toward the conditionalist view. And people begin to give him a hard time. His own church fires him, not just because of this, but sadly enough, uh, uh, they fired him because Edward Fudge was a pastor and he invited a black man to come up and share the prayer for the service. And back in those days, hey, you're out of here. In fact, the publishing house that he worked for said, you know what? We can't at all have you work for us because you're, uh, you have liberal views, they said. And so he had all these challenges that he was, that he was dealing with. But in this film, as, a, as, as it ends, basically, Mr. Fudge comes to the conclusion that the Bible teaches the conditionalist point of view. He comes to the conclusion as he studies this all out that there's no way that a God of love could burn sinners forever in eternity. And he has the Bible to back it up. Now, how did Mr. Fudge come to those conclusions. Why did he choose that point of view? Let's, uh, let's look at that briefly. And to start off, let's just ask the simple question, what is the end result of sin? Anyone, what's death, right? There's a number of verses that support that. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. James 1.15, sin, when it is finished, brings forth what, everyone? brings forth death. And we know John 3, 16, God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, friends, there's two groups of people. 
the saved and the lost. Jesus gives the saved eternal life, but he doesn't give eternal life to the lost. The lost don't have eternal life in hell burning for eternity. The the end result of sin is death. Notice Revelation 21.8. The Bible says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which what? Burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the what type of death? The second death. Not the first death, the second death. Now question, friends. Are all of us in this room subject to first death? Absolutely. Absolutely. My brother, who passed away uh, just five years ago from brain cancer, was subject to the first death. But praise God that Jesus holds the keys to the grave. Amen? He holds the keys to the grave. And I praise God that he is coming back and he's going to wake my brother up. But friends, the second death is final, the Bible says. The second death is final. And the finality of this death is described in all these verses. We're not going to look up all these verses. Someone said, praise God, praise God. But if you want to uh, write any of these down, or if you want me to send this to you, I gladly will. But I do want to read to you, just read to you the different phrases that are used in Scripture to describe the finality of death. Notice this. They will perish. They will be burnt up. They will be devoured by the flames. They will be utterly consumed. They shall be destroyed altogether. They will be turned to ashes. They will die the second death. They will suffer destruction. They will be as though they had not been. And I love this last one. Let's read that together. Satan will totally be destroyed. Amen? Praise God for that. You guys get the picture that in Scripture, time and time again, Over and over, the Bible describes the total destruction, that nothing is left. Now, Pathfinders, just a couple weeks ago, we were camping out at Lake O'Neill. Yes, you guys were there, and there was a fire at Lake O'Neill, and I was sitting there around that fire, and this time my jacket didn't get burnt. I've learned my lesson, and I was there around the fire. Uh, Everyone had gone to bed, and there was wood that was burning there in that fire, and uh, over time, I went... Got sleepy and went to bed. All the pathfinders had gone to bed. A couple of the other adults stayed up to make sure things were all right. And when I came back out in the morning, do you think that I came out to a beautiful fire? The wood was just still burning there and everything was just just like I left it, right? What does fire do to wood? It destroys it. It consumes it. It consumes it. And friends, according to Scripture, that's exactly what happens to sin. Sin is consumed. Amen? Amen. Sin does not uh, stay there forever throughout eternity. And some people, some people have this view that we're going to be up in heaven. We're going to be up in heaven and we're going to be looking down at those that are lost in hell. And we're going to be just happy. Ah, we're not there. Now you think, how could anyone think that? Notice uh, this is from a learned theologian quoted in the book, Great Controversy. It says, the sight of hell torments will exalt the happiness of the saints forever. Can I get a mercy? Mercy. People believe this. When they see others who are of the same nature and born under the same circumstances, plunged in such misery, and they're so distinguished, 
It will make them sensible of how happy they are. Can you believe that? There's people that think, man, ah, at least I'm not down there. I'm, I'm so happy up here. And notice, notice what uh, the great controversy says, Nick. This is what the author says. How repugnant, how disgusting to every emotion of love and mercy, and even to our sense of justice, is the doctrine that the wicked dead are tormented with fire and brimstone in an eternally burning hell. That for the sins of a brief earthly life, they're to suffer torture as long as God shall live. Where in the pages of God's word, friends, is such teaching to be found? Will the redeemed in heaven be lost to all emotions of pity and compassion, and even to feelings of common humanity? Are these to be exchanged for the indifference of the stoic or the cruelty of the savage? No, no. Such is not the teaching of the book of God. Amen? And friends, how can we look at a God who Jonathan Edwards style back in the great religious awakening, uh, grabbing these sinners and just holding them over the fires of hell? That is simply not what the Bible teaches. So what then is the purpose of hell? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. We are wrapping up here, friends. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and... We're going to start in verse 7. What verse, everyone? Verse 7. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. The Bible says, Now when the thousand years have done what? Expired at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the, how many corners? Four corners of the earth, Gag and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. When that new Jerusalem comes down, Satan gathers all the resurrected dead and those that are wicked. And he says, hey, we can take over the city. But then verse 9 offers some sobering but hope-filled news. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Satan convinces them, hey, we can take this. And the next sentence describes that hell is not a place, but an event. The next sentence says, And fire came down from God out of heaven and did what? Devoured them. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now that's a sobering thought. That's a sobering thought. But what I see here in this text is that the the, the very nature of this is that the fire is devouring sin. Friends, none of us like, none of us appreciate sin. None of us uh, like it when our uh, family member dies of cancer. No one likes it when we see the wicked getting away with crimes. And friends, praise God, the Bible says that the purpose of hell is to devour sin for eternity. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Look at verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And you say, hey, Jeff, there it is. There is the teaching of the traditionalist view that they are tormented for eternity. But friends, I have no problem with that text. 
I have no problem with that text. And the reason why is because of how you understand the way words are used in the Bible. Now, if, if I read Shakespeare, how many of you like reading Shakespeare for fun? Anyone here? Young people? All right. I found a few hands. No shame. So if I read Shakespeare, I need to understand that Shakespeare was written during a certain time period, right? It was written during a certain time period. When we read Scripture, we must recognize that it was written during a certain time period. And so we want to understand the way phrases are used throughout Scripture. Uh, notice we've just read Revelation 20.10, Revelation 14.11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Um, uh, there's two verses that use this language. What is it talking about? Uh, and many of us have heard these before, but I, to me, it makes complete sense. Uh, in the Bible, that word forever is used in a very specific way. And we use the same word today, which I'll explain. But in Jonah 1.17, it says that Jonah was in the whale for how long? Forever. Now, how long, uh, how long was Jonah in the, in the whale? Three days and three nights. He's not still there. But the Bible says he was in there forever, so it must mean for eternity, right? Of course not. It just means simply for that duration of time, right? 1 Samuel 1, 22 and 28. The Bible says Samuel was given to the Lord forever. But then verse 28 says that he was given until he died. So it was as long as his life lasted. Exodus 21 talks about uh, servants that are given to uh, uh, their masters forever. But next verse after that, it says that they're slaves for only seven years. So how can forever mean seven? Well, the way that I look at it is when I was growing up, how many pathfinders have you asked on a long road trip? Mom, I've been in this car forever. When is this going to end? Have you literally been in there forever and ever? Of course not, all right? It feels like it. Ami's like, yeah, I've been in there for a long time. But it simply means for that duration of time. And friends, sin is going to be burned up And how long is it going to take? As long as it takes. That's the answer. How long will they be burnt? As long as it takes. But friends know that those flames won't tickle their feet for eternity, but they will do their job. And I have good news for you, friends. This is one of my favorite verses. Matthew 25, verse 41, it says, Then he'll say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed in the everlasting fire, prepared for Jeff Harper. Is that what it says? Who's it prepared for? Friends, hell is not prepared for you and me. It's not. And friends, I want to end. This is important. I know some of you guys are like, this is dragging on. But friends, I want to end with these five hope-filled things. How in the world is this topic of hell filled with hope? Five reasons. The first reason that I believe there's hope in this topic is simply because no one is burning right now. You don't have to worry about your family member who maybe made bad life decisions and you think about them. Don't worry about it. God's got it covered. No one is burning right now. The second reason there's hope is that no one will burn eternally. Ty Gibson was on an airplane. He was sitting next to an individual and Ty was reading a spiritual religious book. And the man looked at Ty Gibson. He's in charge of a ministry up in Oregon called Light Bears. And he said to Ty, I can see that we're not going to get along, are we? And Ty said, why not? Well, you're reading a religious book, and I am an atheist. 
So Ty asked him the question, well, tell me, since you're an atheist, about the God that you don't believe in. Oh, let me tell you about the God I don't believe in. He's a tyrant. He's a uh, this and that. And, you know, he burns people for eternity in hell. I can't believe in that type of God. And Ty looks at him and says, well, I must be an atheist too because I don't believe in that God either. Amen? He said, the God that I believe in is fair. Yes, hell is real. Yes, there will be a punishment for sinners. But friends, we don't have to worry about when we're in heaven that our loved one is burning forever in hell. God gets rid of it forever. The fourth reason why I think that, or excuse me, the third reason why I think that there's hope in hell is that hell is fair. How is hell fair? We have to read this. This is a powerful, powerful uh, chapter, or excuse me, passage here in Steps to Christ. It says, the sinner could not be happy where? In God's presence. Stay with me. Let's, let's, let's read this together. Let's read this together. He would shrink from the companionship of holy beings. Out loud. Could he be permitted to enter heaven? It would have no joy for him. The spirit of unselfish love that reigns there, every heart responding to the heart of infinite love, would touch no answering chord in his soul. His thoughts, his interests, his motives would be alien to those that actuate the sinless dwellers there. And then notice this. Friends, this is powerful. Uh, Let's read this again together. Heaven would be to him a place of torture. He would long to be hidden from him who is its light and the center of its joy. It is no arbitrary decree on the part of God that excludes the wicked from heaven. They are shut out by their own unfitness for its companionship. The glory of God would be to them in a consuming fire. They would welcome destruction that they might be hidden from the face of him who died to redeem them. Mercy. Friends, that is a sobering thought. That for the sinner, heaven would be a place of torture. You want to talk about eternal torture? Put a sinner in heaven. That's eternal torture. And God in his mercy says, you know what? These people would not be happy here. And thus, they perish in their sins. The last reason why I think there's hope in hell And I want you to notice this sentence carefully, friends, is that Jesus would rather go to hell for you than live in heaven without you. Jesus would rather go to hell for you than live in heaven without you. Friends, he was willing to die on that cross, to experience separation from the Father. That is truly what hell is, is separation from the Father. He was willing to experience death so that you and I could live. Friends, he wants you to be there. Imagine with me, if you will, a family of eight children. This family of eight children, they come up into their teens and 20s. These kids start growing up. And father and mother begin to have a conversation about their kids. Seven of them turn out to be good men and women who respect their parents. They appreciate all that has been done for them. But one of those eight, Harry, is a criminal. Out of their eight children, one of them breaks the laws of God and man, and he wants nothing to do with his family. Do you suppose that father would sit down with mother and say, well, mother, we've done pretty well. 
We have seven out of eight, which is above average. And you know, it's too bad about Harry. And if he ever comes home, of course, we'll welcome him, but it's not a big deal. Let's not let it break our hearts because at least we have seven loyal children. Friends, is that how a father would talk? Of course not. In my imagination, I see this family on Thanksgiving Day. The oldest has come home for the reunion and what joy he brings his heart. The next daughter, Mary, God bless her, reveals a lovely character. And the other five are sitting around the table in happy union with father and mother. But there, in my mind's eye, as all seven of their children are sitting around their table, there's one extra chair for Harry. A tear begins to trickle down father and mother's faces. They think about their one son who is not there. And the fact that they have all their family there but Harry makes it even worse because Harry has a place in mother and father's heart that no one else can fill. And friends, God has a place in his heart for you that no one else can fill. We read at the beginning of this sermon that God does not want one sinner to perish. He has a place in heaven for you if you want to be there. He won't force you to be there. Mother and father didn't force Harry to come home, but how they long for him to be there. And friends, God longs for you to be in heaven with him. And the question is this morning, is friends, can we respond to our father's heart of love and say, yes, I want to be there. I don't want sin to be attached to me any longer. I want to let go and let God take control of my life. Because he has the power He has the strength and he has the willingness to save you, friends, if you want to be saved. And let no one leave this room today being discouraged, thinking that God can't save me because, yes, he can. My God is mighty to save. My God is mighty to save, friends. And pathfinders, young people, as you listen to this high calling as a pathfinder, I challenge you to continue to keep your eyes on Jesus to continue to run this race with endurance, forgetting the things that lie behind and reaching forward to the things that lie ahead. Friends, if you want to give your heart to God today, would you just simply raise your hand? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to ask that your Holy Spirit would come into our hearts. Father, we have studied a very serious topic, topic of hell. And Father, it is without a doubt that sinners are not going to be left off the hook, Lord. It's not as if we can live our life however we want, thinking that, yeah, maybe I'll be there. Because Father, there's two camps. But Lord, I thank you so much that you make it possible to be in the camp of the saved. Father, I thank you so much that it is not too hard Lord, that you've made it available to us today. That's nothing of our own doing. As we look at ourselves, Lord, we feel inadequate. But as we look to you, we realize that you can make it happen. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. We love you. And we just pray, Lord, we pray that we can continue to keep our eyes on you. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Will the congregation please stand for our closing hymn?